0: He played Caracan, his rating was higher, but from move 17, the king's side was mine. Took my chances fast, my rook was now.
1: to everyone who supports the podcast, your shares and reviews in Apple love. If you want to get more involved in all we do at US Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax deductible donation of any size to our US Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions.
0: He has more experience.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to Ladies Night. I'm actually here live in my new studio in Philadelphia with an o- awesome person. I've been wanting to get her on Ladies Night ever since I started the show a year ago. Sabina Foycher. You all know about Sabina. She's amazing. She was a 2017 U.S. Women's Champion. She's a woman's grandmaster, a coach, a commentator, an Olympian, and a great ambassador for our game. Sabina, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jen. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's really fun having you and being able to see you in person as well. I'm um, I have to ask, uh, you've been doing a lot of coaching lately, but one new thing that you've been doing, you have been representing the United States at these world youth competitions, going as far as India
2: Yes, to teach the little ones. That was an amazing experience. I'm thankful for that, to US Chess Federation for giving me the opportunity to be there as a coach. I was thinking to apply for this position for a while. And uh, when I received the news that I was selected to be one of the coaches. I was really excited. I, I think it's great to share your passion with others, especially with kids that have a future to try to get better. And yeah, it was great to be there. I What can I say? It's just so exciting. <laughs>
1: What was the most surprising thing to you about teaching this delegation? I did say little ones. That was a bit of a mistake because actually your group, I think, was the the teenagers and the preteens.
2: Yeah. So actually, I got two positions this year. I was the coach of the Pan-Americans. That was all the way like from under eight to 18 years old. These took place in July in Ecuador. And then the other one was the world youth, which was indeed under under 14, 16 and 18 uh, that was the one in India. So the first experience was the Pan-Americans in Ecuador. And that's where uh, I actually got to coach some of the girls. And I really hope they were excited to work with me and uh, have some of my experience. Um, and... Uh, I maybe i'm not as strong of a chess player but i think psychologically it's also very important especially for girls so i hope i was able to to transfer some motivation to them and then uh for the world youth i i had um a few girls that i coached and um i think it it was the same way i i felt they were all really excited and in good fighting spirits and uh, all of them did great much better than than expected Great to be there. (laughs) What was India like? It was in um, Mumbai, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, my time there did not allow for me to go out and see very much. I tried to stay really focused on the job and uh, give as much of my time as possible to to the kids and try to think how I could help them in every round. But in the free day, uh, a lot of uh, the delegation actually went on an excursion. Uh, to the Elephanta caves, which required uh, about one and a half hours by boat th- on the sea to to uh, an island that's actually a UNESCO heritage site, and it was kind of interesting to to learn about the culture. It was a little bit scary, I have to say, the boat, especially the boat ride for me, because it was smelling a little bit like petrol, and <laughs> uh, the boats didn't look like you know you're expected to see. I don't know really new stuff and i was a little bit scared i have to say but it was for sure a beautiful experience and just getting the chance for for some of the kids to see a little bit about other cultures i think that was that was nice wow it was a boat that was full like probably on the boat they were Maybe three hundred people, and uh, we were just sailing. I don't. I actually other chess people. <laughs> other other chess people, no, just the American delegation. the The organizers actually did offer a tour, but we felt that that would be something more special. So we left from the Gate of India, which is supposed to be like a famous um, port in Mumbai, and uh, we went on this boat, and there were some other people. Uh, there, but yeah. Indian people. Indian people. people. Yeah. Not from the organization or anything, just us Americans, maybe a few other tourists and uh, our guide. Actually, we did have a guide. So uh, from the Elephanta Caves. And he told us the story that actually on that island, there were uh, like natives, maybe up to 500 people, not more than that. And it was kind of interesting how he had learned English uh, because they didn't speak. They had some their own language there and how he learned English from tourists. And yeah, it was, it was very interesting. It seemed actually when we left, it was really cloudy and foggy. So I was kind of scared because I didn't know where we were going, but actually on the way back, it ended up being like a really beautiful, sunny day. And we got to see the, the you know, to just enjoy the sea and just the calmness and just try to gather our thoughts of what we have seen there and um just yeah so it was an interesting experience i really enjoyed being there but as i said you know that was just one day the free day that we got to enjoy the rest was pretty much work and hard i think work. yeah on the kids too yeah i so. bet
1: i mean i imagine it's really hard in your position because you got all of these kids and there's so much preparation and so much database work that you could be doing as well as general motivation work and then at some point some kids start doing better than others so you- is there a feeling that you're more obligated to help them because they're in the running for top spots? Like, how do you decide how to allocate your time when it gets really towards the finish line?
2: That's true. Um, the, the kids that I did have to work with weren't on the contending places to actually get the medal, unfortunately, but uh, I did try every single day to make sure everyone got as much of my time as possible. Uh, When I could give more, I would give more time and um, it's for sure tough, but I think our delegation wasn't so big this time uh, compared to other times I was told, so I think um, everyone got a lot of time with the coaches and aside from us were there in in mumbai they had their private coaches as well they were getting uh hints from them of what to play so we were trying to go a little bit maybe more in depth from what they already knew right right sometimes people go to skype as well as yes
1: and i've noticed that in the past years um there are a lot of coaches in these world youth events and world cadet events and sometimes no women. Um, I know Beatrice Marinello used to be part of the delegation, but I haven't seen her name recently, probably very busy at Dalton. So it was really nice to see your name on the list because I think it's important to have a female coach in the delegation, especially when there's like, this time it was a little bit smaller, but sometimes there's like eight to 10 coaches. And I think it's nice it's important for the girls to see that there's a female among them as well.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. I and I agree with you. I think it's important from the mot- motivational perspective and just sometimes if you just feel like something doesn't work out for you, you you have someone that you can talk to and I hope I have been open enough that <laughs> they if there was anything to talk about they felt that they could talk to me in case you know that didn't happen and they hear this interview I hope that in the future they will not be shy or anything we all have had maybe difficult moments in our careers to try to overcome or you know maybe after a loss we didn't know what to do what to play we felt discouraged and I think when you have a, a player who who has done it before you you should feel confident that you can share some of the the feelings and just Try to learn how they pass through it and and take the advice the best you can and do it your own way. In our culture, women and girls might react
1: slightly different to certain things than boys and men. And that's maybe one of the reasons why it's important to have somebody like you there. Because girls might be even harder on themselves after a series of losses. I'm not really sure what the reason is, but it could be because of our culture and the lack of confidence that sometimes girls and women have in their own self, it's, it could be a bit more fragile, their sense of, of confidence, even if they have a high rating.
2: I agree. I agree. Sense of confidence for sure. I've seen it with a lot of girls and I see it in myself sometimes too. I feel that I can lose confidence very fast, but sometimes I can gain it. Very fast back too. So I think I got into a point where I I can combine that. But when you are in the beginning and you have a lot of pressure, maybe from your parents, family, other friends, peers, it just ends up being very difficult to pass some moments. So It's important to work through that, not give up. So I've decided to kind of dedicate um, myself to to sharing my experience as much as I can. And I'll continue doing so. (laughs) That's great. Because there is this
1: famous saying about women that sometimes they have a picture of themselves in their head while they're doing something. And that, that has that's called like the male gaze. Mm-hmm. And of course in chess that would be very that's very devastating to have a picture of yourself in your head, of yourself playing chess while you're playing chess. And I think that self-consciousness is something that we really are trying to get rid of with chess to allow not just women, but boys as well to kind of have that flow experience where they're just playing chess and not thinking about the outside world. But potentially it's a more fragile experience for for women and girls. And I think that you are a role model, not only for your chess career, but because it seems like with your personality, you have a very kind and warm personality. And then also you're ability to overcome challenges as we saw in the 2017 US Women's Championship is a way to show people that life skills and chess skills are potentially interrelated. And do you see that as well? And what kind of life skills do you think are most relevant to chess?
2: I agree. Uh, 2017 for sure has had a very big impact uh, on my changing or becoming a little bit stronger. I think as a person and as a player, I did have a few moments in my life where I was really feeling that I wanted to give up chess because of the pressure and the need that I needed to prove something to someone. But as soon as I realized that you're not really doing it for someone, you're doing it for yourself, it started changing my my view. Now, 2017, when things have passed so fast for me, learning that mom was sick, um, just out of nowhere. Um, and then uh, by the time I got back to actually see her, she was, um, she was already in a coma. So I didn't really get the chance to say goodbye. It was a very tough thing for me to experience. And I promised her, but more to like for myself that I will try everything I can to win the US championship. Like I was, as I was talking to her, uh, we weren't really allowed to, um, to to spend too much time in the room that she was in because of the situation she was in so um i guess for the bacteria and stuff so you couldn't anyways but i told her you know i can do this and um i did it <laughs> so <laughs> after that happened i just i i felt that i have to share with everyone that we all have our ups and downs and our own story and you have to try to to make the best of it same as it is in life you sometimes you know lose something but you get something that can happen in chess too and like for example you can just lose some material at some point and you feel like okay this is over i have no more chance you you can just choose to give up or you can try to still focus as much as you can to to try to come back from that tough position that you have and it just it happens so much in chess that you have moments to come back. And even if it's not just one game, if you don't come back in that specific game, you can always come back in the tournament. Because you know, if you look at the U.S. Championship that year that I won, I did start with two out of four. So I won, I lost, then I won again, I lost again. So at that point, like nobody ever thought I had any chance to to do anything. And um, if you don't learn to believe in yourself. It's, it's not going to work for you. So you have to just find the strength, <laughs> I think, to get better, get your mind ready for, for coming back. So I, I always try to find uh, things that are related to life with chess. That was a tough story, but but there are some other stories that you can relate. No, I mean I thanks,
1: thanks so much for sharing. Um, for those of you who didn't follow Sabina's twenty seventeen win, she was ranked in the second half of the cross table, about eight out of twelve, and she ended up winning. In- Incredible fashion, capping it off with a gorgeous queen sacrifice with the black pieces. Just um, shortly after her, her mom, whom she had a very close relationship with, who was also uh, a women's chess grandmaster and many-time Romanian champion, um, had passed far too young as well. Just just uh, just before fifty, right? Yeah, forty-nine. Yeah. The story was. So incredible because not only the the style of her play, the underdog story, the life circumstances, all of these things coming to what I think me, Maurice Yasser, my brother, Greg, we, I mean, honestly, everybody I talked to thought that this is like one of the greatest stories in championship history. I mean, it's really, we were all in awe of of your (laughs) strength, your emotional strength, really. It's true. And just the story that you created with this emotional strength, because we're always trying to show people why chess is so great for kids and adults, not just to become a champion, but also to show show um, what humans are capable of. And this story really did do that.
2: Thank you. I I think you can show a lot of you know compassion and and passion and just um, love too for the game and for everything. And but everything, I I think everything happens for a reason, and you also need to have a good Support system for whatever you do. So I don't think I could have done it if I didn't have the rest of my family and and my fiance supporting me. Those difficult moments. It was just um, incredible how how it happened. But they were able to kind of just exterior let me just keep me kind of in a bubble from other things that were happening and just make me just focus on on one thing, which which was trying to play good good games. And um, I don't think I could have done it without them. So I'm thankful <laughs> to them for doing that. Sometimes I wish that it didn't have to happen this way, you know. Anytime I'd give I'd give that story back and to have my mom back, but
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> Of course. Yeah, I mean, but you're right that losing somebody you love so much, your your greatest fan, it gives you sympathy for for um, a lot of the world that has experienced those things. And it makes you appreciate the people that you love even more. I also lost my mom at a very young age and I experienced the importance of um, family and support networks that, you know, make something that is never easy, a potential way to allow you to become even stronger and integrate the memory and the qualities of that person you love into the rest of your life and your personality, you know?
2: I, I think it's important. Yeah. And, and she has been my biggest uh, inspiration because she always, she came from a, a family that didn't actually know much about chess. She was introduced really at an early age. And then, um, I remember she told me a story once that, um, in, in one of the first times she played in a simul, uh, it was against a very strong, uh, chess player. And after the simul was over, my grandparents, um, took that, that person to, um, wanted to take them to dinner and asked the person about my mom, whether she was talented or had any kind of chance to to become a good chess player. She was really at the beginning. She had maybe started playing chess for about a year at that point. And the a master told my grandparents that their daughter, so my mom, was completely an anti-talent and she never had the chance to succeed. Um, so so I always had that in the back of my mind. When I can share that story, I, I try to share it too because I don't think you should ever say anything negative to, to a parent about their, their kid. Or maybe, you know, it turned out as a positive because when she learned about this, She actually fought even harder not to prove something to someone but just come on how can they say that about me i've worked so hard to be here they cannot tell this to my parents so um i've always had you know her story and her life as a motivation for me in general that you shouldn't listen to anyone telling you that you cannot do something if you want you will find a way to do it it could take years but you will find a way to do it and and I think she she was able to to do a lot for for chess in Romania in general so uh, and in the world too she was she qualified many times for for world cups and uh, candidate tournaments when they used to have them for for females. so that's a really inspiring story you know me as well, I almost quit chess because
1: my learning curve was a lot different than um, my brother who is um, two years older than me but also um, just very very quick-witted I feel like I'm a little bit more uh c- creative and slightly slower so I don't pick up things as quickly but I- I- when I get there you know I get there yeah <laughs> and so um I really almost quit chess because people were like making comparisons about how like weak I was in comparison to him and my father as well and like how it was really weird and then when I I did finally just fallen back in love with the game and got back into it. But I I can really see how damaging it can be for, for children to get the sense that not like they didn't work hard enough, but that there's like something wrong with them, that they're they're like not talented. Like I I don't like that word because even though I do believe in talent, I think that it's very hard to determine with young people what might be different work ethic might might be just a different type of learning curve
2: that's true yeah and passion too passion is important and having this drive yourself to want to get better and not needing someone else to tell you or pushing you from the back although some kids do need a little bit of pushing i think if they have the passion to to try to get better it's going to happen at at some point so passion is is very important and The thing with talent, I think it's not enough to just be talented, or even if you're not talented, you can really work hard and, and still get to, to a point that, that you want to be. I think, I think it's these days, there are so many ways that you can get to, to have someone coaching you or coach yourself that you really shouldn't, um, shouldn't tell anyone that they, they can make it or that they're not talented. And maybe, maybe what you can say, if you're a coach or a teacher, maybe you can tell the parents, for example, if you were to to teach a kid, you can tell the parents, look, I think my style of teaching doesn't really work well with your kid. We don't really work well together. I don't see a click between us. And I think it's better that we separate ways. Even if you have the feeling that the kid is not going to get very far, but if you feel that there's no more way that you can help that kid, for example, you should, you should be open, I think, to, to the person or to the parents of the kid that you're, you're coaching. And that way you give them the opportunity to find themselves later. You should not end anything (laughs) with a negative. Always try to stay positive. I think that's, that's very important.
1: Yeah, I agree. And when you look back in the 2017 championship that you won, like what memory sticks out to you the most?
2: Well, I remember, of course, the final round. That was for sure something. So many things happened so fast. So before the round, I remember me and Nazi were sharing first place and I knew that I was playing with black pieces with an opponent who at the time was above my rating. And then I knew that Nazi was playing a player who was, well, currently is the U.S. Women's Champion, Jennifer Yu. But at the time, she was this young girl, maybe uh, lower rated than Nazi was. And Nazi was my friend. So, you know, to kind of fill in a position that, okay, what's happening now, which one of us, you know... Is going to win or are we both going to win? And should we meet in a playoff? What's what's going to happen? There are so many thoughts. But then I told myself, no, look, I've done really amazing and to try my best to play a good game. And uh, I listened to Elshan that day. Um, I was going to play some other opening, Queen's Gambit. And then he said, no, look, you kind of need to win. And that's let's not go for that for now. And just, I listened to him. I saw last minute this game that my opponent had played and I was like she might play this and she actually did play the line that that um I reviewed a few moments before the game and uh okay she did change at some point but I did get a very good position and I remember seeing this beautiful, you know, mate. I actually saw it when I when I played Rook F six. So for those of you listeners who have seen the game or not seen the game. Rook F 6 is, I think, was the best move that I made in that position because I'm bringing my final piece into the attack. And I was kind of seeing these ideas that if she moves the rook to g1, I can sacrifice the queen. And, you know, I feel like there should be a mate there. I feel that I should be winning. And then when I see her playing that move, it was just like... Wow, I cannot believe it. Let me just double check. And I remember as I was making the move to sacrifice the queen in, in G1, everyone came upstairs to take pictures. So I knew that. All right. Um, clearly i have calculated correctly or i clearly am missing something and they're going to take a bunch of pictures of me losing this <laughs> this game but uh, i i had seen that i have at least a draw so i i wasn't really that word that was just something that popped into my mind and then i wasn't even excited that i might become champion the first thing that i did was i went to the um, arbiter i i asked it was frank guadalupe and i asked him frank did i make my i am norm did i make my final i am norm that was kind of a my mind you know I wasn't thinking about the title I was just like so excited that maybe I I achieved that and he was like I'm sorry Sabina because of the rules of this tournament we're missing an IM I'm supposed to have another international master in the tournament and it's like no (laughs) and then you know after that came the time that I had to wait and see what was happening in Nasi's game. And I actually did try not to look for, for some time because you cannot wish your friend to lose just so that you become a champion. So I was like, okay, I'm, let's just be happy. Elshan and I went went outside of the club and just relaxed a little bit, just walked. And then we came back in and there was a moment where we realized that Nazi had blundered and she wouldn't win, so I would I would be the champion. So... Then there's a video that Maurice made that went viral. So a lot of things happened that day.
1: Right. The video of you guys
2: hugging hugging after after we saw that that Nazi had lost. And again, like I felt bad and she and I have been talking about that. And, you know, it's just life sometimes. She wasn't mad. Yeah, she wasn't mad. She wasn't mad. Of course she wasn't. I mean, but, you know, it's, she had the chance also to, to win and we would, We'll have to play the match, but I know it's, yeah. Anyways, it's, it's been a very interesting.
1: And yeah, that's, that was extremely memorable. For those who don't know, um, your fiance is Grandmaster Elshan Moradi Abadi. Where did you guys meet?
2: Actually here in Philly. (laughs) Uh, it's kind of an interesting story. Um I was playing the um, National uh, Congress in 2013 here and this guy kept looking at my games every single round and I was like, this is creepy, what is happening? I didn't know, I mean, I knew of him, but... um uh, yeah, I wasn't looking to, to have a relationship with anyone or something at that point. And uh, this was the first time that he, he had talked to me. He had asked me some something, I don't remember, about my game anyways. But I didn't talk to him until um, later the following year in 2014 after a message he had posted on Facebook. So we met in Philly, but we didn't start dating until maybe like six, five, six months later. So he wrote to you on Facebook? No, he made a post on Facebook. We were friends on Facebook. And um, he wrote something about going to the Olympiad and whether he should go to represent. At that point, he was playing for Iran and he was uh, the highest rated player in Iran. And so he had written on Facebook a post just, you know, for everyone about whether he should go or not. And it popped on my newsfeed and I answered him and I told him, are you crazy? How can you not go? It's your country and it's one of the most prestigious tournaments. You should go. And from there, we started, you know, talking and about chess, about life. And it's been going like that ever since. <laughs> Did he go in the end? Uh, he did go. And um, yeah, and that year, I remember it was 2014. Uh, I wasn't supposed to go. I um, didn't make it by a few points. I didn't make the team. But one of the players, I believe it was Anna Sharevich, for some reason, her she did not get the visa to go. So last minute, I get this phone call, Sabina, we need a player. Uh, could you go? <laughs> um, and it was two two days before the Olympics started. It was supposed to start. It was 2014. In Tromsø, so uh, we ended up going together. I mean, not together. He was representing Iran. I went to represent the the US, and I had probably there one of my best Olympiads also. So yes, yeah, was, that's right. It, I had but- five out of five, but unfortunately, last two rounds I lost. So it was disappointing, but <laughs> it was kind of an amazing um, thing to be able to go once again represent US team. So.
1: Absolutely. And you got to know Alshon there too, presumably. Yeah.
2: Well, we we started dating before that, like for six months at that point. I think um, the Olympia took place in maybe August and we had started going out maybe March. So
1: Now you guys are both really warm, kind people. It's like kind of obvious. Your personalities are both very, very, very sweet and nice. And it's like, how do you combine that with the killer instinct that you sometimes need over the board? Or do you not really need a killer instinct? Can you just be in love with chess and play good moves because
2: of that? Do either of you struggle with that? Thanks for that. Um, we try to be nice. I feel that I'm kind of tough to him sometimes. <laughs> I, I feel that I have to keep him uh, focused. Um, and we I think we're good for each other because we, we find the right ways to support each other each other in whatever we choose to do and uh, if tomorrow I were to to say okay Elshan I want to go and do something else that's not chess I know he would be there for me supporting me whatever I choose to do so but uh, regarding that I think our personalities show differently in in the game of chess I think I'm I like to believe that I'm more aggressive and maybe when I don't show it in public I I am a little bit more uh, aggressive I have this what we call Romanian blood cuz I'm originally from there and we we're more like dynamic fighty fighters I, I don't know I I feel that I just show that in in the game more than than he does he's he's more quiet I think uh when he plays and he, maybe he he attacks less he likes to attack but I think he attacks less than I do it could be something and this I don't want to start any any kind of Tough topic here, but I feel that in general, a lot of female players are a little bit more aggressive than men. So I don't know. I hope I haven't said anything. From the style of play, we just feel that we just want to win. We want to be number one, or and uh, maybe men are more calculated in a way um, in chess. So maybe it had a lot to do with Judah Polgar, because a lot of
1: female players growing up in I guess then what would it be like the 90s, the 2000s when she was still active, Mm -hmm. um, like they would watch her games at the top tournaments and maybe want to try to play like her. And even now, she came out with that trilogy of books. So you can certainly study all of her games. So I thought that was like one thing. And the other thing I wrote about this in Chess Bitch and a little bit in Play Like a Girl too, is that female chess players tend to get more attention because there are less of us. So there's maybe this instinct to like want to entertain and also defy the stereotype that women are passive in life and in chess. So I thought like those two things combined kind of create this more aggression.
2: That's true. Actually, I never thought about it that way. I did read your book, Chess Bitch. I really enjoyed it, actually. Uh, I should have done it longer time ago. I only, I think I finished it last sometime last year. I agree about Judith. Uh, Actually, when I was a kid, I had a poster of her right next to my bed. So when I would wake up, I would see her and just feel inspired uh, by her. I had cut it off of this magazine. I don't know if my parents were happy or not, but I had already done it and sticked it with some tape (laughs) on the wall. So uh, they thought that was was nice. Uh, And she did have this very aggressive style, but I don't know if you really need to prove something. I don't think you should need to prove something. I think it just... um, I'm not sure about needing to prove something necessarily.
1: Well, I don't know if need, more just like that could be a factor that you don't want to like bore all these people who are really excited to watch your games. True. <laughs> I think yeah. I, I felt that sometimes, you know, maybe you're more people are going to be watching your games and it's like, okay, let's have some fun. Let's it's make it true. interesting.
2: That's true. Yeah. And there's, there's less, less to gain as a female player too. So because of that, you can try to, to take a little bit more risks because... You know, I mean, if there's much less to gain, you should take more risks to try to get to the top. So, yeah, that could be that could be a factor. Personally, I really wish I was more aggressive, but I think I always play much better positionally. So it's tough to say. But, well, that, that game from the U.S. championship. Yeah, I mean, that's
1: true. Yeah. So that poster you had of Judith in your room um, was like from a magazine. Like, was she in the middle of the game or was it like a cover photo?
2: Uh, she was... No, it was not a cover photo. It was in one of these magazines they used to have in Europe. I think they still have it. Europe echec So Europe as. So uh-huh. And um, I just, uh, yeah, we were, we were receiving that in Romania when I was a kid. And my dad had a stack of all of them. He said at some point he was going to read them. I'm not sure if he's reading them now, but... <laughs> Yeah, so I just cut it and I think she had some positions too from from uh, her best games or something like that. So I, um, yeah, I just cut it up. And uh, I read a little bit about their story too, because I think in maybe early 90s, um, my parents had them in mind as, you know, some geniuses. It was a story that had made highlights about these three girls, um, Polgar sisters who were doing amazing and competing at the high level with strong grandmasters. And so I heard about the story that the parents would sometimes, the father would just cut different positions at night and would stick them on the girls' rooms. And when they would wake up in the morning as they were you know, brushing up their teeth or something, they would just look at the positions and try to solve them. So I guess in a way, as a kid, you know, maybe I was seven, eight years old, I, I thought, Oh, that sounds great. I should do that too. So that's kind of how it it got started, I think.
1: Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I know that Um, I felt the same way. And um, Tatev Abrahamian, who's around your age as well, also super influenced by Jude. It just makes me sad, because I wish like there was somebody of that elite level right now in in the women field but right now we don't have anybody in that like top 10 20 players because I do think it would make an impact make more motivate girls more
2: possibly yeah for sure I mean um who you find was it getting really close and then Mm. she did stop a little bit for to pursue her passion for for studying as well but I think now she might be back to chess or at least I've seen her last weekend playing in the Bundesliga so maybe she's thinking she's considering coming back to chess, I feel that she's the one who can certainly have some, um, she's really close. I mean, she's really close to Judith, but there are some youngsters too these days who are, you know, below 20 years old and over 2,400 and maybe 2,450 some of them. So I think um, we are certainly seeing more girls these days that continue their passion for chess. And I hope to see more support in general for, for females so that, they can continue this passion and, and not have to give it up for because of society reasons or having to get married or something just, you know, hopefully there will be someone who continues supporting girls.
1: And I actually admire Ho Yifan for what you did going to Oxford. And I saw a video of her doing a inspiring event for women in uh, New York mm-hmm. in conjunction with her move next. We posted an article about it on CLO as well. And she, uh, Obviously is just an amazing player. But now as she's going to Oxford, her English is getting better and better. Mm -hmm. And so she's able to like express all the brilliant thoughts that she has about life as well. Yeah. So if she comes back into chess, Now I think it's even better because even more people can kind of like understand, although her English was never bad, like it was always pretty good, Mm -hmm. but you know, I think she can like more fully express herself and that this will be really good if she starts playing again.
2: It's, it's important for sure. And I think it's important for, for girls in general to just say their thoughts and what they want and where they are at and what they might need. You never know who can uh, come from behind and just feel inspired by what you're saying and, and want to help your career. So, I mean, why not? Why why couldn't chess get sponsorship like other sports? Why couldn't we, you know, just wear the gear of, of a, you know, famous brand and just, you know, chess players are cool too. I think um, for a long time, a lot of people are saying that chess players are geeks, but I mean... Why 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 make that uh you know narrow um statement I think a lot of chess players have way more than just uh, playing the game of chess I think we're passionate about other things as well and uh, we can for sure you know find uh, find the right words or ways to to inspire companies to to choose us too. Well yeah
1: especially <laughs> now that being geeky is like really cool yeah. I mean that's pretty much taken over I don't see any argument anymore Yeah the so brains guess- have definitely won out in the in the in the cool competition. The only problem now is I feel like in culture like it, to be really popular and successful and a celebrity like I think people want you to be super smart and super hot. Like they want that kind yeah. of like combination, which is okay. I mean, I get it. That's good that brains are being privileged more than they used to be mm-hmm. and desired, but I also think it's like a lot of pressure. Like I remember seeing a tweet about trophy wives and some woman was like okay now I have to look as hot as a trophy wife but also be as brilliant as the man that she was trying to
2: marry <laughs> so extra hard work on women yeah. that they have but you know I think that's that's a little bit too much and that has been something that I've been some people struggle with like um, having to look a certain way I mean I think there's more change these days you, you don't need to to take uh, to have a specific shape, you can be yours, your size, and feel comfortable in your body, and and people shouldn't really necessarily just look at that. I'm very much inspired these days by Ashley Graham. I don't know if you heard of her. She's she's a, a model. Plus size. Plus plus size, but I think she doesn't like to use that term. She uses another term that I can't think of right now. Body positive? Possibly. (laughs) She's very positive, and I enjoy just looking at at her and listening to her speeches because it kind of helps me. Because I feel like sometimes, you know, I've I've struggled with my own weight, and I feel that people look at me differently since I've gained weight um, than, than before. And it can have a negative impact on you as a person like you don't know what's happening to the person maybe they are sick maybe they have a disease maybe they're i don't know just struggling in their personal life or maybe they're just enjoying food why not you know so i don't think you should necessarily just just look at that like just enjoy someone's personality and their what they are doing for the field and just um forget about looks because really it's you know in some years once they get older there will not always be looks and you shouldn't put so much pressure because they can affect people's lives so
1: absolutely i mean women are very sensitive i i didn't notice and i think you look uh great you always seem to be re- so radiant and happy um and glowing it's like People think maybe that it's funny or even helpful if they make remarks on people's appearance when it changes. But you just have to be really careful unless you're a really good friend, because especially with women, when we're so judged by our looks, it's just always better to be on the safe side. Even if somebody's lost weight, by the way, because that also could be because they're sick or, you know, I sometimes compliment people on weight loss. And I feel terrible about it because I don't, I know that it's wrong, but I just like, can't help myself because I'm yeah. <laughs> just in this culture. And mm-hmm. I feel like I'm torn between my philosophy, which is I shouldn't compliment them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the culture that I'm in, that's which is
0: true.
1: if I do it, maybe they'll feel good and they'll feel yeah. happy. But you know, I said that to a parent at the daycare and she's like, yeah, I'm trying to gain weight. I don't like it when I look like this. <laughs> so and I'm like, she said it in a nice way though. She wasn't like, me. Yeah, he said in a way where it's just like that's an, an example. Like, that's you true. Say that.
2: Yeah, and I encountered that a lot of times, and it's been hard for me. This is a part of the American culture that's very hard for me. That in Romanian com- culture, at least, I wasn't really raised to give too many compliments. So when I get one, I don't know what to say in return, and I, it's not like I, I just I want to be as real as possible. I, I this is like my my way of life. I try to be as real as I can. And I don't want to tell people what I don't feel, but just because I don't say it, it, doesn't mean that I don't feel the same way about them. It happens to me, someone tells me something, oh, I love this or that about you. And I don't, I don't feel it's natural for me to tell them in return, oh, I love this about you too, or something. And just, I felt that there's sometimes awkward awkwardnesses in, in conversations because I, I don't know. No, you don't have to give the compliment back right away. Yeah. It's like, wait. But you need to remember that, wait, I need to say something before they say it. Because after they say it, it's just very hard for me to say it back. So,
1: yeah. I think that, (laughs) though, I do really, it's a very big problem, I think, in our culture that we pay too much attention to the way that people look. Whether it's women and men, but it's hard to to change it. I think you have to just make little steps and like... Mm -hmm. Uh, especially with Instagram and all these different ways that we're even focusing more on the way people look. It's super difficult, but obviously being in chess is, I think, a step in the right direction because the whole game of chess, we're focusing on what's inside somebody's brain and the expression of that. Mm -hmm. And I know that occasionally chess journalists and chess media get criticism because focus on women and girls' photos and videos sometimes more than their games And so that's something that I try to work on in my position as women's program director. I tell these organizers like, you know, I love the cute girls playing chess, those photos that you're sending me. But can you also send me some games? Yeah. Send me some diagrams. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And it's like Angelina
1: is organizing one of the tournaments, which is great Mm -hmm. because she's a champion. So I know she can find the games, but sometimes not because they don't want to. It's like, it's hard, you know, chess base, PGN, all that a lot of the coaches might not be at the same level. It's easier to take photos, you know, sometimes That's it's a classroom true, yeah. teacher.
2: And this is probably something new with the photos. Like it used to be just games, games, games. And I feel in the past, maybe like up to 10 years, people have been focusing more on chess photography. I mean, maybe they had it before, but they were not really focusing so much on facial expressions, more like just, you know, pictures so that people knew how to look at X at Y player or know who's a top level player and stuff but these days uh, there are even some books that are published about just pictures from chess players and right I think David Lada published a book about just pictures and how do you choose the pictures how do you choose who, whom you are gonna put there it's going to be mostly about looks I think so David it's is very- really beautiful yeah. it's a really beautiful book I love it <laughs> I'm just saying that I think a lot of times we focus a lot on looks and maybe less on other things but it's good that there's there's a, a pl- there's a plus because it shows chess more and there are some very professional photographers who take beautiful pictures of players at the board in their thoughts sometimes maybe not so complimenting the players um based on the facial expressions that they make but in general I do appreciate that so I I wasn't trying to say anything negative about it. I was just saying that sometimes it turns out to be a lot about it's hard. uh, Yeah, looks, and uh, it could have an effect on some people.
1: It's hard. I know I'm a friend of David's, and I think he's brilliantly talented. um, But he's also human.
2: Yeah, and I know he. I know he makes.
1: I've noticed he's made a conscious effort to not just focus on like traditionally beautiful, you know, women in their you know twenties or early thirties who are very gorgeous. He doesn't just focus on that. I've seen him older women. Um, I think one of his famous photos in his book is a woman who's playing like a senior championship. Yeah.
2: And I think she became a champion, um, Asian champion or something. And she's maybe 70 or yeah, I've seen that picture. He does a great job. And I mean, I sure. not.
1: I think that he is working to just show like the intensity of the expression, not just the beauty of the person. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's hard because, you know, if you're a human, you don't know what's coming from your talent and what's <laughs> coming from the culture as well. That's true. So obviously there's going to be like, yeah. some overlap. Yeah. But it's it's good for chess. It's just like we need to also just be aware that the message that we're sending to girls is not we want you to be a really good chess player who also looks really good while yes. they're playing.
2: <laughs> Cur- yeah, I mean, that's, that works. That's fine. And I think it's also great that FIDE has this new rule and it's tr- it starts being applied in a lot of chess tournaments that you have to kind of be more dressed up. I, I think we want to show that, that, you know, we-, we do take care of ourselves and we can look good. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it just helps the culture of chess to improve. It's, yeah, it's nothing wrong with that part.
1: (laughs) Oh, I I like that a lot too, the dress code. So I want to close out just by asking you something about your coaching philosophy, because people who listen to chess podcasts often want to learn to get a little bit better. Is there anything that you feel like people are doing that you've noticed that maybe they're spending too much time on? Typical things you've noticed that people are doing wrong.
2: I think they spend a lot of times on openings. Um, Depending on your level, I think opening is not... The most important part of the game and you should for sure spend much less time than you are right now unless you are over tw- two thousand 000 feet so maybe 2100 uscf i really think you should not uh opening should not be your main focus i i don't think you should try to trick people with with uh, stuff that you memorize by analyzing with a computer i think you should try to really enjoy the game and with the computers. Uh, chess has lost a little bit of its beauty because, you know, these days you analyze until move 30 if you are one of high level and then you get a position to play and it could be completely dry and you're not so showing so much creativity. I mean, if you have a good team, you're going to have all the work done at home and you can just go there, play, win. What, you know, you, you have to... To learn to be creative. And here I'm talking, I'm not talking to the top level. I'm talking to people who are up to maybe 2,000, 2,100, like I said, I think they should just learn the principles of opening, study a little bit the ideas, and then focus on their middle games, tactics, and end games. Those are really parts of the games that can really work with your creativity and help you just develop as a better player for later. And if you're really passionate about chess and you are getting better, don't worry. You'll have sufficient time to spend on openings and learn how to use an engine to analyze your openings more in depth later. But I think now you just do do your middle game and, and end game preparation more. And what was the last chess book that you enjoyed? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Um, I really like uh, I really like Jacob Agard's um, books. Um, probably, A Thinking Inside the Box is probably one of his best ones, and I think that's that's probably um, one of the ones I'd pick. And then um, I also enjoyed. I haven't seen the new one, but I enjoyed Sam Shankland's Small Steps to Giant Improvement. I think that's the yeah. exact title. I really like Sam. He can be maybe hard to to talk to sometimes but uh, i i really enjoy his writing and and uh, i think a lot of people have a lot to learn from that and it actually seeing one of his uh, one of his videos before uh, a last round of a US championship i believe it was last year 2018 uh, has been kind of an inspiration for me i had kind of a bad tournament and seeing that an excerpt of of, of his book has helped me be more mindful about my palm pushes and my opponent's uh, palm pushes and kind of try to take care of that more. So
1: I've read a little bit of that book, but I, now that you say that I'll, I'll definitely take a deeper look. Cause the thing about Sam is he, I do not think he's difficult to talk to in a way. I think he's easy to talk to because he's interesting. He always says what he thinks. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't have maybe as much of a filter as some people. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I I've heard people mm-hmm. say that he doesn't have a filter, but I, I, I think he's nice when you get to, to know him and have a conversation with him. He's been very nice to me in various occasions. So
1: I bet, I mean, yeah. that's what you want from a writer. Yeah. I don't want, yeah. Fil- I true. want some unfiltered <laughs> writing. Yeah, but
2: sometimes, what you think. <laughs> sometimes it can be tough. Um, he's still, he, he has told me at some point something that i i didn't feel comfortable about but um i think in his mind it was as a motivational thing for me i didn't take it that way but uh given that my background is actually i i have a master's in intercultural communication and i've learned to go back to my conversations and think from the other side's perspective too because immediately you're going to make your own opinion it's we are humans we do that all the time we judge but as you take a step back and try to uh to look from the other side's perspective and try to understand where they come from why did they say that did they really want to hurt you or then you start understanding people more of course it takes more of your time and energy but it puts you in a in the right state of mind so i think it's important for people to learn to do that cuz very often we a lot of things that we say come across differently than we said it so hopefully people um give more thought to to how they take everything in
1: i think that's a great point and honestly that's true in chess too if we all paid more attention to what our opponent might be thinking or what Another person might be thinking when they say X, Y, Z, then we're going to be better people and definitely better chess player. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Seriously, thank you so much to Sabina Foysher. I mean, it's been awesome having you on. People can find out more about you on your website, sabinafoycher.com, as well as your Twitter, which is at foyser underscore Sabina.
2: I think that's the one. Yes. And I have an Instagram too. If you go to my website, you'll be able to have the direct <laughs> the direct link to it.
1: I also should point out that I noticed when I was researching this interview, you have a lot of great videos on the St. Louis Chess Club channel from your residencies there. Thank so
2: you-, you. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, yeah. Search some of those. Some of those are really good. Yeah. Great to have you here in my first guest in my live studio in philadelphia thanks for having (laughs) me it's been a pleasure talking to you (laughs) thanks guys
1: if you like what we're doing at us chess to encourage women and girls to explore stem fields accentuate competence and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality your donation to our us chess women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. Chess Podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies night.
0: Now according to Sockfish, I got it all wrong. After slightly advantage, I had nothing. My dear Capablanco, you tell me, we learn more from our defeats, who needs victory?